This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots. I'm James Heal and I'm joined today by the Spectator's political editor Katie Balls and Talk TV's Peter Cardwell, a former Northern Ireland Secretary of State's Special Advisor. Peter, you're in Belfast and today we've been covering the visit by President Biden to uh, Northern Ireland. Uh, tell us what was his speech like today? It was, I think, a speech that covered all the bases, really. I don't think it was the most inspiring thing I've ever heard. I don't think it was the best speech I've ever heard uh, about from an American president. I think that was probably Bill Clinton in uh, 2000 when he was on his valedictory chair. But he, uh, President Biden certainly talked about power and the possibility of peace. He talked about barbed wire being in Belfast previously when he was here in 1991 and 1994, just after the uh, IRA's first ceasefire. And now these big glass buildings, including the one that he was opening today at Ulster University, which just wouldn't have existed 25 years ago, really marking, I suppose, the uh, the progress since the Good Friday Agreement, but also making very clear that he feels the devolved institutions should get back up and running and a clear message to the Democratic Unionists that he believes that they should get back into power sharing with Sinn Féin. Uh, Katie, I mean, there's been talk that of a sort of slightly tense relationship between the Biden White House and Rishi Sunak's number 10, with some suggestions, for instance, about the you know, even the even the pictures of him getting off the plane on Tuesday evening was somehow, you know, there was some sort of tension there. Talk us, what, was that a sort of a sense in Downing Street? I think there's more a sense of our relations between the White House and Downing Street generally uh, more frosty than they have been in the past. If you think about Brexit, if you think about the fact that Joe Biden is seen as uh, someone who's very proud of his connections to the Republic of Ireland. Um, you think about that infamous uh, moment, uh, you know, a year or so ago when someone said, President, can we have a word? And he said, where are you from? He said, the BBC. And he goes, I'm Irish. Uh, and therefore, I think there's, there's a few reasons that there's... Um, question marks about how this visit was going to go and I think it's less about Rishi Sunak's personal relationship with Joe Biden but more about where it starts from so we know I don't think I think it was quite clear that Boris Johnson and Joe Biden do not have the smoothest of relationships. And then you had a situation where Liz Truss and Joe Biden also did not appear to have the smoothest of relationships. If you remember when Joe Biden, uh, you know, specifically criticised her um, economic policy as trickle down economics, and which was unprecedented to actually comment, I think, on a domestic policy like that. And therefore, I think it's more can Rishi Sunak improve things. There have been some quite awkward photo ops. Um, I mean, you have Joe Biden coming off the plane, um, having a brief moment with Rishi Sunak before going for a, you know, a, an embrace of, of another figure who was there. I do think we have to remember, you know, Joe Biden is seen as being very gaff prone. So we can read into these things a bit too much. I think probably though the, the more awkward one is just the the footage of the of the pair sat having a coffee, and you've had an advance this meeting. Downing Street very keen to say you know almost talk this up, saying this isn't just a stop and visit. We know that Joe Biden is going on a holiday to his ancestral home in Ireland after this, and trying to say no, 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 this is a serious meeting. He is spending time here. It's not just one brief stop on his journey. And so you know, it's not a bilateral; it's a bilateral. But I, I think looking at the pair on the table just sipping their coffee or tea I, I can't confirm which um it didn't scream this is you know the perfection of the special relationship but I think what's more important is less I think awkward photo ops is the fact that Rishi Sunak has improved relations between the UK and America through the Windsor framework and you could see Biden praising the new Brexit deal um you know 
on his visit here um, saying it's an essential step to preserve and strengthen the Good Friday Agreement. And I think by putting the Windsor framework forward and by walking away from this unilateral action in the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill, which was the policy of both Boris Johnson and Liz Truss, it just has naturally thawed relations and made it possible to have a more constructive relationship. And Peter, there was lots of talk in the weeks before this trip about potentially, you know, the 25th anniversary of Good Friday Agreement could be power sharing back up at Stormont and perhaps Joe Biden was going to have a role in this. And yet it seems those kind of hopes have really fizzled out um, given the ongoing impasse over Stormont. Yes, indeed. The two elements needed to be there. One was the Windsor framework, which is there. But you've got to remember that whilst the majority of the Conservative Party are happy enough that apart from the 22 or so who voted against it to say nothing of quite a few people who abstained on that, the DUP just aren't sold on this. All their MPs voted against it in Parliament. And that is the decision and the thought as well of its members of the Assembly here in Northern Ireland as well. And there is no show without punch. If the DUP do not take part in Stormont, well then, as the biggest unionist party, it can't function. It's been on ice since October. There have been problems for a year. And actually, I think that is almost a fitting sort of uh, leitmotif really for the 25 years since the Good Friday Agreement because there's a twin track here. The political process is different from the peace process. Peace process is basically there. It's basically okay, although obviously we've had problems in the last few days with petrol bombs being thrown at police officers in Londonderry and we've had uh, the, uh, the we've had some uh, pipe bombs found overnight. We've also had the uh, Detective Chief Inspector John Caldwell who was shot in front of his son a few weeks ago. But those sorts of things are mercifully rare and a lot rarer in Northern Ireland than they certainly were uh, uh, 25 years ago. So peace-wise, we're not doing too badly. Politically, though, it's been very, very stop-start in the 25 years since the Good Friday Agreement. At the moment, it's absolutely stop. And the second element that was meant to be there, as well as the Windsor framework for Joe Biden, just isn't there. That was Stormont back up and running. He's speaking in the next few days to the Oireachtas, to both houses of the uh, Irish Parliament. He wanted to do that. He wanted to speak at Stormont today to the assembled parties. But of course, no speaker has been elected because the DUP won't accede to that. So therefore, Stormont is not functioning. Uh, It's unlikely to function this side of the local elections here in Northern Ireland, which are slightly later than in England. They're the 18th of May. And then we're into the marching season, and the Orange Order marching season, which is always slightly heightened tensions in Northern Ireland. So I think it's probably going to be the autumn. So Joe Biden, certainly there were people I spoke to in government who were talking about this visit being a huge landmark visit, much bigger than it was. I think there's a bit of a row within government, actually, certainly between the Northern Ireland office and Downing Street in regard to how big this visit was meant to be. But at the same time, I think the elements just weren't there. The music and the actuality of getting Stromit up and running just didn't happen in time for President Biden to come here. So unsurprisingly, here in Belfast, he was here for 15, 16 hours, nearly half of that asleep, actually. And then off he goes to uh, the Republic of Ireland, to Louth, to Mayo and to Dublin. And I think there's a question as how effective is Joe Biden as someone to yeah. appeal to the parties to come into this? Because Absolutely. you have a, yeah, because ultimately you have a situation where today he, I think it was notable in that quite awkward um coffee, you know, he said he was in listening mode and that would be his message when he met with the you know the various different leaders briefly. But it's quite clear the DUP do not think that Joe Biden is a neutral player in this. You also have claims that Joe Biden would support reunification of Ireland. Now that's not something he would publicly comment on, but the fact that's even out there just shows you the 
how actually words from Joe Biden about the need to accept things like the Windsor framework to the DEP and get back up and running aren't necessarily um, the most helpful things in terms of achieving that goal. And turning now from Northern Ireland to Westminster, Peter, we've been discussing on the podcast in recent days about these new adverts which Labour have been putting out. Now, it's reported in The Times today that they're going to be pausing the use of these attack adverts. But what do you think of their effectiveness overall? Well, they've done their job. I mean, everybody's talking about them. It really has been uh, an instance of not perhaps necessarily entirely factually accurate. Uh, I mean, I actually interviewed Emily Thornbury on uh, Monday morning and said, you know, do you honestly think that Rishi Sunak does not want child sex offenders to go to jail. And she just dodged the question, and that's fair enough, and that's fine, and we you know, we campaign in, in uh, poetry and govern in prose in this country. But at the same time, it seems to me quite Trumpian, quite uh, sort of fake newsy kind of aspect of these things. And I think, of course, they've come thick and fast in the last few days, but at the same time, they can be paused because Labour have spent not a penny on them, but at the same time, they've had a huge impact. People have really reacted to them, if whether it's positive or negative, they've got a reaction out of them. And for a party which I think has struggled to connect, and a leader certainly in uh, Keir Starmer, who has struggled to connect with people, certainly in the way that some other politicians, uh, such as Boris Johnson did in 2019, for example, they've really done their job, and I don't think they need to do too many more of them. Maybe when the election comes up, they'll do more of them. Maybe this is some, simply a, a, a staging post in their campaign. But in terms of, of what they, they're meant to achieve, they have they have achieved it. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. I've just come back from time away. And James, you have a very interesting column in the magazine on this. I think it's too soon to tell whether or not these are doing what they want them to do. You have a situation where I keep reading... Labour figures saying what a great triumph it is and I do slightly wonder if if it's such a triumph do you need to tell everyone yeah. um, but, I, but I, I think partly what's happening there is one of the things which was the thing that you do touch on in your column too James is when the Tories have gone on these attacks they've had much more unity in terms of the party in terms of cabinet ministers willing to go out and do the lines and I think that part of the reason uh, you're seeing Labour figures briefing out how well it's going is almost to reassure Labour MPs who are a bit worried about it and you know Labour members who are a bit worried about it that there is a strategic purpose and they're achieving that and therefore the audience I think when you're looking at some of the press coverage and by that I mean the briefings from within Labour is about trying to say actually get on board this is why we're doing it but yet you have a situation where clearly some ca- some members of the shadow cabinet are not on board i think there's quite a lot of uh, internal anger at vet cooper and her camp over that observer briefing where she seemed to distance herself from it and the sense is going backwards and i think the tories have slightly taken an approach of not just let's leave what we're going to say to nearer the time but also let's say nothing because we're banking on the fact that labor will turn on each other and therefore let them fill the vacuum instead of it now there's still clearly, I think, the plus for them is on a week of a local election campaign have meant that they are leading their gender on the subjects people are talking about. But I do wonder in terms of what are they actually, what are they tapping into? Because normally when these things work best, if you think about, you know, 2019 election campaign and others, it's touching onto something which people already generally believe. Pre-existing narrative. Exactly, as opposed to creating completely new ones. So you might imagine the non-DOM ones would be more effective than the suggestion that Rishi Sunak is a paedophile sympathiser. Um, and and therefore, has it been a good success? It's interesting that they're pausing them. And perhaps that was always a plan. Of course, you have local election uh, campaigning rules kicking in soon, which limits how much you can really say if we're going to get into facts um, but but also you know there's a 
let's see, I mean, there's very brief in saying we may return to this at a later date. I think Labour are ultimately using the local elections as a way to try lots of different ways of campaigning and then seeing what is the most successful. And I think we curious look at the polls in the coming days because just speaking to a couple of people who do focus groups they were saying that you know it hasn't had the most positive response but then again with a tactic like this it isn't necessarily about making people say oh I love Keir Starmer it's about landing in a negative message about the other side and let that set in. Peter your thoughts? I think Katie's spot on in a lot of that in terms of especially just the impact of this, the fact it's being talked about for because for such a long time, people have been focusing on the government and also a lot of time on the Conservatives' internal problems and the psychodrama around that. And suddenly they're talking about both Labour policy and Labour attack. So that can only be a good thing for the Labour Party. It also, I think, when Keir Starmer says, I'm not going to back down from these, I'm not going to apologise, his sort of tough, ruthless image that he's trying very, very hard to cultivate. I'm not sure entirely how successfully, to be honest. But nonetheless, that, that feeds into all of that. Um, Katie's absolutely right about the discomfort. And again, when I interviewed uh, Andy Thornbury earlier in the week, I, I challenged her and said, do you endorse this? She said, yes, I endorse this. And I said, well, why haven't you retweeted it? You seem to retweet everything else. Um, and there are lots <laughs> of people within the the this, the this sort of operational of the of the Labour Party who just don't seem to be on board with this particular strategy. And actually, have managed, they've managed to unite uh, both David Blunkett and I think uh, John McDonnell in opposition to this. So, uh, I mean, at least there's some unity in on the left and right of the Labour Party. But it is it is a fascinating tactic. Uh, we're going to see more of it, of course. This is going to be a really dirty election campaign because the stakes are incredibly high. And with the polls closing ever so slightly towards uh, Rishi Sunak, still 16 or so points uh, behind, depending on where you look. Um, this is, you know, it is just fascinating. And almost, I think the Conservatives also think that I speak to you anyway, they're, they're cautiously optimistic that there might be a chance through the middle anyway. Uh, we'll see, of course, what happens in wh- whenever it is, October, November 24, or whenever we finally get the next general election. Well, thank you, Peter. Thank you, Katie. And thank you for listening to Coffee House Shots. And if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, then why not come along to our Coffee House Live Coronation Special event on May the 10th? Fraser Nelson, Katie Bulls and Camilla Tomney, Associate Editor of The Telegraph, will be discussing the coronation of King Charles III and what it means for the United Kingdom. The event's from 7pm at the Emmanuel Centre in London and you can book tickets at spectator.co.uk forward slash coronation.